This is the Horse Radio Network. Well, hi, everybody. This is Glenn the Geek, and this is episode 535 of the Stable Scoop Show. Tonight, we have our annual dot-watching party with Devin Horn. Our sponsor this episode is Kemen Equine. I am Glenn the Geek, founder of the Horse Radio Network and host of Horses in the Morning, the longest-running daily horse podcast or any podcast in the world. We're doing something a little different tonight. We're going to be analyzing the dots. That's right, the riders that make their way past the halfway point of the Mongol Derby. And I have a good friend of mine helping me me tonight, somebody I love to do this with every year. Most of you know, if you're watching or listening to this, the Mongol Derby is the longest horse race in the world across the steppes and mountains and valleys and swamps and everything else in Mongolia. Riding some Mongol ponies, and we're going to talk all about that tonight. If you want to follow along with the dots, my... Advice for you, if you're watching this live, we're doing this as video and audio. So if you're watching this live, you can go to the Mongol Derby website. Just search up Mongol Derby 2022 and click on the little lines at the upper right-hand corner and then click on live. And you'll see the map. You'll get to follow the dots. We're going to bring that up tonight and show you that as well. But first, uh, if you are watching live, please uh, post where you're from. Uh, and, and we'll actually, Devin and I can see the comments, so post where you're from, and we would love to, your first name, because we don't always see the names, it just says Facebook user for a lot of them, and we would love to know where you're watching from, and if you have a relative or a friend riding, let us know, and we'll try and talk about them a little bit, too. In the meantime, we have my co-host here tonight, who, again, I think we've done this for years and years and years, she's a 100-mile ultra runner, black belt, ultra long-distance endurance rider, and many-time Mongol Derby veteran, because she's a glutton for punishment, we have my friend Devin Horn. Hi, Devin. Hey, Glenn. How's it going? Good. So good to be doing this again. I know. Another year, another derby. I have so missed this through the pandemic. Now, we have done them sometimes when you've been over there doing your thing. So we've covered you doing this as well. I think this is probably our 10th year doing this. It's, really? it's Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, what? It, where has my life gone? <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk a lot tonight about the different things going on over there, what the atmosphere is like. They've just passed the halfway point now. And who's in the lead? You know some of these people, so we'll talk about that as well. We have Barb from Wellington, Nevada, Rosemary from Essex, Vermont. We have Kathy from Ocala. So we have a bunch of people joining us tonight. Thank you all for, for joining us. We really appreciate it. So you, you've you done this three times, if I remember right. That's right. I have uh, ridden the Mongol Derby three times. I have two second-place finishes and one DNF, which is a did-not-finish. So. And for all of you that don't know Devin, um, two second-place finishes still gets in her crawl a little bit because she's very proud of that, but uh, Devin likes to win things. So. I do really like to win things. <laughs> I, I gave it everything I had. Um, but yeah, you almost killed sure yourself the one been, year. <laughs> yeah, sure would have been nice to say I'm a Mongol Derby winner, but not in the cards. <laughs> What's the name of that uh, documentary you were in? Yeah, um, one of my years they followed the race, and it was... Uh, set into a documentary called All the Wild Horses. Of course, they did it the year that I didn't finish. So if you'd like to see me throw up a lot, you can pull it. It's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> they leave. They left those all in, too. They yeah. seem to like that. I have some really great, like, slow-mo chunder points. It's like <laughs> the only thing on my history for IMDb. It's incredible. <laughs> That's funny. So, yes, it was a dramatic. It tell It does show you how hard it is, though. 
it, it does. It emphasize, yeah. Yeah. No, this <laughs> there's race no hiding is, that. <laughs> this race is grueling. Um, it's a thousand kilometers. It is the longest and toughest horse race on the planet. Um, every single person who makes it just to the start line is a an amazing equestrian and survivalist. It's just, it's hard to put into words when you're sitting here having a drink, watching a dot, how difficult it is to, to really do this race. Let's talk a little bit about that. You have to apply and be accepted and pay a lot of money to do this, right? Yeah, yeah. The entry fee, I believe, is sitting around $15,000 American. Um, and every single person who is in the race this year passed a rigorous screening of interviews and, okay, you know, what kind of rider are you? What have you done? Um, sort of like a, a trial, you know, a job interview almost for the toughest race on the planet. So if you can imagine you know, going through a, a panel of people to basically say, yeah, I'm, I'm a badass enough to do this race. Every single person out there made that cut. And they've waited because it's been postponed uh, a couple years. So this is the first year back. So some of these people may have applied in 20, 2020, 2021, now 2022. So they're doing two races this year. This is the first. They are. Yeah. So there's 46 people who started this race uh, five days ago and 37 people still in at this time. There you go. And there's <laughs> going to be another one in a couple of weeks. Yes. Yeah. There's an August edition for all the people who didn't get to go last year. Uh, so there will be two Mongol Derbies this year. And that's really hard on the, the support crew. As soon as that's hard. On. <laughs> I just imagine that they'll sleep for a week straight in between. I've been hearing from our friend Eric. Her Eric is like a legend uh, if you follow Mongol Derby. He's he's over there every year. He's part of the organizing crew, really. He's part of the crew over there. He practically lives in Mongolia the other parts of the year anyway. And uh, he, he loves us for some reason, and I hear from him almost every day. So he, he said it's been interesting this year. It's been keeping him busy. So. Yeah. And just as a plug, he also uh, leads expeditions that are way more sane than the Mongol Derby. Um, he does, you know, horseback expeditions to the reindeer tribes, to the eagle hunters, all sorts of things. So he really lives and breathes Mongolia. He's a fascinating dude. He is. You could do a movie about him. He's a fascinating dude. He <laughs> you really absolutely is. could. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> all right. Let's go over this year's Mongol Derby and talk a little bit about it. We're five days in. Now, how long do they have to finish this thing? You have 10 days to finish the 1,000K, um, which is kind of not a whole lot of time. Um, if you break that down, you have to cover about 100K a day, uh, which is not easy on semi-feral wild ponies on this difficult terrain, uh, managing your own food and shelter. It's, it's a bit of a feat just to make that kind of mileage. Now, if you do the math roughly, that means that if you want to finish in 10 days, all of the competitors should be past Horse Station 15 at this time, which is not true. Uh, we have quite a few competitors who are, you know, strung out between stations 14, 13, 12 right now, um, which is not great news for their uh, wishes to finish within 10 days. Now, I have the map up. This is the, when we talk about dot watching, this is what we watch. So they all have GPS trackers, and we watch the dots. If I get in closer, this is being really slow, so I think a lot of people are on it right now. But um, when I get in close, you're going to see little dots, and you can hover over the dots, and it's going to give you the name when it's loading. It's going to give you the name of the person. It's taking a while. Yeah, it's just... Uh, 
it's being slow. It's going to give you the name of the person that uh, the dot corresponds to. And right there, now it popped up. So you can see Sean McBride's right there, and you can get him really close and focus on this. Uh, but these little circles, tell us what those are. Those are all horse stations. So at these horse stations, they're uh, located every roughly 40 kilometers um, along the the trek. And they'll have um, spare horses, food, and water for the riders. So essentially, it, it's fairly simple. You just ride between these dots, you know, and you have your GPS and it tells you which way to go. And then you have to pick your way. You know, you have to find your own different way in between horse stations. And then... Um, get to them, pass a vet check, get on another horse and rinse and repeat. Sounds pretty simple, right? Yeah, it does. It sounds pretty simple. Except tell us about the horses. So the horses are all semi-feral wild Mongolian horses that are turned out to fend for themselves in the winter. They are cantankerous. They do buck. They rear. They are not dependent on humans for water or food. And they certainly don't necessarily enjoy being ridden by Western riders. So every 40K, as you get more and more tired, as you get uh, more and more hungry, <laughs> you have to deal with a new fresh horse that hasn't done anything um, and convince it to let you ride it for a long time. Well, we have, let's talk about the front runners now. We'll go through them a little bit. We have right now in the front, uh, Chris Walker from the UK. Uh, let's, let's take a look at Chris here. Uh, Chris is actually not, not a youngster. Um, he's not one of the younger riders, actually. So he's been a horseman for a long time. He has 30 hunting horses. He plays polo. He rides point to point. This guy knows uh, how to be in the saddle. And uh, he's been kind of up there the whole time. Yeah, he and Patrick have kind of um, <clears throat> been riding with the front pack or just off the front pack for pretty much five days now. And they made sort of a ballsy decision last night. They came into horse station uh, 16. Six with, and vetted through with about 18 minutes to spare on their riding time for yesterday and decided to ride out. Uh, that is a really, really ballsy maneuver because they, I have no idea where they slept last night. They may have found a family, but from the map, it doesn't look like there's anything there. So they may have spent a night trying to keep their horses together. Matter of fact, if you look close, it looks like they might have slept on top of a hill or a mountain because there's a there's a range of what looks like small mountains right there. I have no idea where they spent the night. It it does appear that they're moving this morning, which means that they probably have their horses, uh, which is not a surefire thing. When you're sleeping out on the Mongolian steppe, it is very easy to lose a horse and have it wander off in the middle of the night. I have seen them canter full out with hobble with three legged hobbles on. So it's so difficult to keep them. And so if they're moving this morning, I have I have good faith that they were able to hold on to those buggers. Now, or they're walking really fast. Or they're so, walking really fast. <laughs> or they're on a motorcycle looking for their horses. Yeah. <laughs> All of those things could be true. So how do you, if you're cowboy camping, which means you're sleeping on the ground and you're, you didn't find family with a yurt, which is a lot of times what happens, um, you're, you're out there by yourself. How do you keep a hold of your horse? The answer is however you can. Um, you're not going to get a whole lot of sleep or rest or or time when you're not going to have to be like holding onto your horse unless you find somewhere to tie it. 
although there aren't very many trees out there. So your, your luck is going to have to be that you're camping underneath a telephone pole, maybe that you can tie your horse to or something along those lines. It is so difficult to keep them together. I've, I've seen those crafty Mongolian horses climb out of corrals, like climb over the fences in hobbles with their head tied to their front feet. They're, they're just very, very crafty little creatures. Speaking of which, if we go back to day two, three riders decided to lose their horses on day two. Um, and uh, tell us about that. I couldn't believe it. Actually, two of them lost them on day one. Like they hadn't okay. even gotten to the first <laughs> horse station. And some brilliant person decided to route the course through a river before you got to horse station one. And two people on their horses went into the river and came up without their horses. And the horses took off. Now, I don't know if they've been found, but they have not been reunited with any of their gear or their stirrups or anything. So they literally had to just go forward with like loner gear and no stirrups. Apparently, oh, and they call themselves Stirpless and Stupid. That was the name of their group. <laughs> yes. And then on the second day, they were joined by a third person who had the unfortunate uh, same lost horse on the steps somewhere situation happen to them. So, yeah, the three of them sort of banded together as Stirpless and Stupid. And we had a, uh, by the way, it was international too. We had UK, France, and USA in that pack. So <laughs> Yes, it was a equal opportunity stupidity moment. <laughs> Everybody the- remembers several years ago, I think it was 2018, probably when Leslie Wiley, when, when I made the mistake of challenging Leslie Wiley to do this on the air, and she did, and <laughs> I've never heard the end of it since, but um, she she lost her stirrups and rode for I was it 30 kilometers or something stirrupless at a gallop. I mean, she was just nuts. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what you have to do. Your choices are sit around and wait or try to move forward as best you can. And these guys and Leslie chose to give it a try, you know? Well, they did. And uh, yeah, this is loading really slower. I would, I would get in here. Let me see if I can get in a little closer. It's just being, it gets this way when everybody's loading at the same time. Yeah. Everyone website. must be checking in. It is uh 7.45 a.m., I believe, local Mongolian time. So everyone is just starting to get up and, you know, be in the saddle and get out there. So it's a very popular time for people to check in. Well, let's do this. Let's go over to the race news uh, for day five. And uh, I'll try and bring that up. In the meantime, let's talk a little bit about the others that are in the lead pack. So we have Chris Walker from the UK and Patrick Heffron from Ireland. They are, they are the two that... Are, are in the lead. They are the ones at Cowboy Camp last night, we think, out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the rest of the group actually stayed at the Horse Station 16 and then left at 7 o'clock this morning. And there we have uh, Sean McBride from the UK. We have Deidre Griffith. Now, she has a story, too, right, from the United States? Absolutely. Yeah. So Eric, you were talking about Eric, uh, you know, being a good friend of the show. He's been passing us updates back and forth. And one of the things that he said was, Oh my gosh, Griffith. <laughs> yes. Uh, she started out in last place on day one um, and just has slowly but surely gone through the pack up into to the lead pack, the chase pack, which is incredible. And uh, you know, and so she passed everybody pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. She just said <laughs> she waved up at to them as she went past and said, Goodbye, friends. I'm I'm going to the front. So uh she's made enormous I mean, obviously she's picked it up. She um, was um she was a uh guide at a 
at a uh, dude ranch in Wyoming for a lot of years. And that's where she met her husband, and they have two little kids right now, too. So she's she's had some time in the saddle. She knows about riding in wild places, for she sure. She absolutely has. And she's one of the people who um, I had kind of been coaching a little bit and sort of like talking back and forth with her this year, just sort of like giving her pack lists and stuff. Um, and she sent me on like at three in the morning on the start line, she was asking me like last minute navigational questions. So (laughs) apparently it worked. (laughs) She was definitely like in it to win it. She really wanted to be competitive and was asking awesome questions and doing some really amazing training and really wanted that competitive edge. So it's really cool to see that something has really clicked and she is really getting it and becoming, you know, one with the race as it were out there. So. Very cool. And then we have Wilhelmine from South Africa is in that lead pack. Tiffany Atterbury, that's the one from Ocala here, who's a veterinarian, happens to be a veterinarian at the farm where we keep our horses. And she has a large, I, I see a couple people posting from Ocala. So uh, I think she has a large following here in Ocala. Yeah. And Wilhelmine was one of the people who did the COVID derby over the quarantine years. Um, so she's oh, been yeah. training really hard and doing a lot of kilometers. I know because I logged them for her. Um, <laughs> and she's just been doing an incredible amount of training. So she's definitely one to watch as well. And, you know, the South Africans have notoriously done very well in the yes. der- derby. Yeah. yeah, Their endurance scene is epic over there. I've, I've had the, the luck to go over and, and see firsthand, but there are some serious endurance riders. We have uh, Howard B., whose name we don't say because it's 85 letters, um, from Australia. And you said, you predicted when I had you on the show last week that he would be in the front. I did, yeah. He's a cattleman. Yeah, the Australian cattlemen are just a different breed, Glenn. They are tough (laughs) as nails. You know, I just assume that they wrestle crocodiles like all the time because every (laughs) time. Every time I meet one, um, Kathy Gabriel is also a, a cattleman or, or someone who lives in the bush of Australia, and she's tough as dirt as well. It's just just something in the water, I guess. Well, Tyler Donaldson, Australian, is up there, and Sam uh, Edney, who's from New Zealand. That's a female Sam. Uh, she's up in that uh, lead pack as well. So, you know, some of them will drop out. That's what happens in the second half. It gets... Well, describe the difference. Once you cross day five, how are you feeling and are you in a rhythm or do things just start to hurt more? It really depends on the person, I'd say. You know, some people get past day five and then it kind of feels like it's downhill, like they've passed the halfway point and they have a, a second wind and it it's feeling okay and you sort of understand the horses now. And some people have a lot of you know, chafing and soreness and just injuries at this point that just progressively get worse and worse. So for some people, this will feel like a breakthrough and other people, this will feel like a descent into hell. Like, oh my God, I got four or five more days of this. Right, exactly. (laughs) It does appear, so kind of explain this, we have to take a commercial break here and then we'll go through that blog, the pictures. I want to show the pictures to everybody from day five because there were some incredible pictures that I think you'll be able to comment on. But, um, so there seems to be a larger group trailing behind the halfway point at halfway at day five that haven't made it to the halfway point yet. It seems like a larger group than usual. Was there a reason for that? Yeah. So my understanding is that the the equestrianists have sort of cut the riding hours this year. In previous years, uh, riders were allowed to ride between 
7 a.m. to 8 or 9 p.m. at night. And this year, they I think they've, they're cutting off around 7 in, or maybe even 6 in the evening. And now this choice was probably made because of um, how difficult it is to corral people in the evenings in Mongolia um, and how dangerous it is to have crews running around at night. So I can definitely understand why this choice was made from a safety and logistics standpoint. However, I'm just not sure that it's giving the riders and competitors enough time to really cover the ground that they need to. The ones that are moving a little bit slower than the front pack, you know, the guys who are not cantering from station to station. So I I feel like I've heard a little bit of rumor about them extending some riding hours. Well, it did look like they did announce that today. They're going to extend today by an hour, they said. Yeah, that's great. Um, To really give the the back of the pack and the, the middle of the pack, the people who really are committed to riding every step of this adventure and finishing, you know, with an official finish and a place, give those guys a chance and a little bit more time to get some ground covered in the daylight, as long as everyone's safe, you know? Well, one other thing, we'll go to commercial and then we'll come back and take a look at the blog post they did. But there was a mother-daughter team we talked about last week on Horses in the Morning, and they had to pull out, I think, on day two. So that was Janet and Nancy O'Neill. Did you you hear anything about why? We didn't see, they didn't post anything about why. Yeah, so uh, this is the story that I've pieced together so far is that uh, Janet was having a couple of asthma-related issues on day two. Uh, they went ahead and medevaced her to a Lambitar for a little while, and then she rejoined the race in the hopes that she could get back out there and and go, uh, but it was just not to be. As a guy with asthma, when you start having those issues, it sucks. Yeah, and of <laughs> so- course, there, there's no way to tell when you're sitting in Canada what's going to set your asthma off in Mongolia. There's That's just true. no way. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's true. All right. uh, Let's take a little break. Uh, You can hang loose there. And we're going to be right back after we hear from our friends at Kemen Equine. People are really stressed out right now. This might not come as a surprise, but your horse gets stressed out too. Every horse experiences stress caused by things like exercise, environmental conditions like the weather, or their everyday surroundings. Travel causes horses stress, just like in humans and even simple diet changes. All of these variables contribute to the stress levels of your horse. This might also come as a surprise, but you can help reduce the negative impacts of stress by feeding your horse chromium every day. By lowering the levels of stress hormone cortisol and optimizing energy use, feeding chromium results in improved body upkeep, health, performance, and overall well-being. But this part is important. Don't just feed any chromium. Feed your horse the only FDA-reviewed source of chromium on the market today, Chemtrace Chromium from Chemin. Ask for it by name and stress less. Learn more about Chemtrace Chromium at Chemin.com slash Chromium EQ. And we want to thank Kem and Equine for their continued support of the Horse Radio Network and especially the Stable Scoop Show. If you're just joining us, I have Devin Horn on here, and we are talking. We are doing a dot watching party, talking about the Mongol Derby like we do most years. Devin, I said earlier, I always wanted to ask you this, and I keep forgetting. You're a black belt in what? Kuksulwon, uh, which is a traditional Korean martial art. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. never heard of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a. Fun time. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. All right, let's take a look at that blog post. Let me bring this back up. This was their day. They do a blog post every day where they post pictures and all kinds of stuff. Let me put it all the way on the screen here so we can see. And uh, let's bring it up. 
And you can check out the writing. They talk about what happened. This would have been yesterday. They've just started day six, right? Holly, I think. yes. Yeah. Uh, Holly Conyers is doing these write-ups, and they're really, really fun to read. They're my favorite part of watching the Derby, I think, is the leaderboards and the write-ups. Apparently, from what I've seen, they've been in the steppes of Mongolia, which is kind of the flat valleys. Uh, and now they're, from the topography maps, they're heading into the mountains. Right. Yeah. So the the main thing that they've had to watch out for in the the low riverlands are bogs, which are these horrible like stretches for miles of just mud and and boggy, you know, low ground that the horses can get stuck in and wallow and just really slows you down. So they've had to sort of learn how to circumnavigate that. And now they get to learn how to circumnavigate mountains. So, And apparently pain, if you look at this picture. And um, pain. This guy really <laughs> seems to be having a rough time with yeah. his knee there. So what about the saddles? What saddles are, are on there? Those you can are, sort of see them in this picture here. Yeah, those are custom synthetic saddles by a saddle maker in, in uh, South Africa called Franco C., they do all of the derby saddles they have for years, and they custom make them to be really short, so they fit on these little guys. Another injury. There's a picture of uh, <laughs> the female riders holding up. It looks like a broken thumb. Yes, that is uh, Madeleine Montelay of France. She is actually the last place rider right now, okay. um, as far as the, the last competitive place. There are a couple people in the adventure category that are behind her. Uh, but she is just uh, she's a three-day adventure from France. And she has a broken thumb, and she's just doing her best out there. Uh, I've been following her dot as well. Good for her. <laughs> and ouch. This I is a have, picture of somebody's knee with no skin on it. I don't know how they managed to do that. That's not necessarily a rub that you would normally get from like a saddle or anything. I'm really, really curious how they did that. Yeah, I don't know. I and then apparently we're adding camels to the mix. So the, here's a picture of what looks like Eric on a camel. I'm, I'm assuming he's looking for some satellite reception. It's definitely a little better <laughs> up there than it is on the ground. I bet. You know, it really makes me mad because he's texting us all the time. We travel in the United States and can't get a signal. He's in the middle of Mongolians and sending us messages all the time. Well, Glenn, are you usually on a camel? No, not well, usually. That's, that's where you've gone wrong. <laughs> so it looks like they had fun with the camel at one of the stops. I think that was one of the horse stations they had fun there. Now, here's a picture of a couple of the ponies. And by the way, these ponies are what, 13? Tans? Not even. Probably more like 11 or 12. They're tough, though. Don't feel bad about adults riding these ponies. <laughs> no. Um, but they had blankets on. I was surprised to see blankets in this picture on these ponies. Yeah, so the Mongolian um, people, you know, you don't see water very often out here. So cooling horses and keeping horses cool is super important to them. And one of the things that is, is really um, helpful is to keep the horses out of the direct sunlight. So mm. those sheets are are functioning as coolers. They're keeping the sun off of the horses' backs, it, and those are um, from the the race report. Those are the the family's prize race horses. So they take extra extra special care of those little guys. So these two are high tide, and for those that don't know what high tide means, it means there's a wire between two poles, and their quote unquote lead ropes or their ties are to that wire, so they can go back and forth. Are all of the ponies taught that? They are. They start when they're babies by um, they are, the first thing they learn is hobble training. So they'll tie their front feet to a low line um, situation and then they're taught to high line. And the, the high line is kind of ingenious because when they tug on them or set back, it sets the poles even deeper into the ground. So it's difficult hmm. to knock them over. Not impossible. I have seen it done. 
but it has to be a coordinated effort <laughs> from all the horses. There's another pony we're looking at in front of a couple of the yurts. Um, another pony in blankets there, high tide. And now we're looking at a rider who is completely covered from head to toe. Either it's really cold there or she's trying to hide from the sun. She is trying to hide from the sun. The same as those Mongolian ponies are covering up from sun scald. She's doing the exact same thing. She does look like something out of Mad Max, though. Yes, I'm sure some of it was an artistic uh, choice. <laughs> All right, so here we're looking at a picture of riding a pony. You can see the yurts, actually, way off in the background there. But it's a, it's a valley. You can see the water you were talking about, the swampland, basically. And then the mountains in the background. This is a beautiful picture, actually. Yeah, and this is, I believe this is Wendy. Um, I can't remember if this is a Wendy picture or not. But one of the things that I love watching is the rider position and how it changes throughout the race. So usually it's it's one or the other, you know, at the start of the race, people are usually either leaning a little bit too far forward or a little bit too far back on the horses. And it kind of looks like they're still sort of getting the stride of it. And then by day five, everyone looks just like this. Everyone looks like they are working with the horses together in a really nice cadence to me. So I, I love watching that. I love watching the riders just like click and get it. We'll take a look at a picture down below that uh, isn't that. Right there. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so here's just more pictures of them coming across the step, which would is either a kid in the foreground or a scarecrow. I'm not sure which. I think it's a Mongolian kid. They kid. get so excited for this race. They they love meeting the people and you know messing with our tack and stealing flashlights and just you know it, it's it's just an exciting event for them. You know. And you guys always all, all carry GPS. I assume satellite GPSs, right? Garmin's or something. Yes, Garmin's. Yeah. So that's how you navigate? Yes. Um, so essentially, there's no there's no set course. There's no flags to follow. You have to choose, um, you know, for example, in the background of this picture, if the GPS dot was on the other side of that ridgeline, you would have to choose how to get across that ridgeline, whether you wanted to tackle it face on, whether you wanted to try to go around, that kind of thing. So. Well, when we looked at the map earlier, we have the two leaders who decided to go what looked like through the mountains, and then the rest of the pack that was coming up behind them looked like they were going around and down a valley between the mountains. So yeah. they choose how they want to do that. And there's no telling which one's going to be faster until it's already done, you know? Yeah, because this is not a set course. It's not like we're running the same course every year. No, no. The courses um, actually remains um, sort of like a secret until race day briefing, and then you sort of know where you're going, so... I like how here's a picture of a pony way in the distance in the grass, in what looks like grasslands, and then a little shack right there in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah, that could be a dwelling or it could be a supply shack. I have no idea. Yeah. Do they move around? Do they? Do the families there move? You, yes. Uh, the herders are nomadic, which means that they'll move based on herds and grass and grass availability. Okay, so here we have a rider coming through what looks like a stream with the pony up to, well, above the pony's waist. How many stream crossings do you have usually? There's no telling. It just depends on where the course goes. It looks like from the photos, they've had quite a few river crossings, including the one that uh, swept away someone's horse. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> people's horses, um, or at least the horses got into the river and got out with their without their riders and took off on day one. Um, so yeah, rivers are great. They allow you a chance to get to let your horse get a drink to cool them off a little bit, get their heart rates nice and low. But it is a risk, of course, getting in there because the ponies might not want to get out. And we were looking at a picture of uh, one of the riders grimacing 
a lot while the vet is checking the heart rate of the horse. You, <laughs> I'm not sure what that picture was about. I'm not sure either. Here's a classic picture that you're going to see at every Mongol Derby a hundred times, and that's the rider looking back and waving at the camera as they're flying by. With is, I love these pictures. These are my favorite pictures from the Mongol Derby. It takes a lot of guts to take both hands off the reins. <laughs> And then we have a rider walking into a horse station, uh, walking into a horse station, uh, leading the the pony. How often does that happen? Do you have to give the ponies a break? That's Kathy. That's one of um, uh, Kathy Gabriel from Australia. She is walking to give her horse a chance for his heart rate to come down. A lot of times if they're um, not used to being ridden or a little bit more feisty, it's actually helpful to just like leave them the hell alone and then their heart rates (laughs) will come down. More so than if you're fussing over them. So that's what she's doing in this picture. She's walking him into the station, giving him a chance to relax, letting him know his job's done for now so his heart rate can get nice and low. And, you know, for the most part, these are not ponies that like to be loved on anyway. So um, leaving them alone is a better plan. Yes. Yeah. Um, This particular picture is something you see a lot at the Mongol Derby. And this is a picture of a rider who apparently has just gotten on and the pony is trying to buck her off enthusiastically. Yeah, that happens a lot. Um, I don't know that anybody's lucky enough to get through the Mongol Derby without their pony pulling some sort of shit. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They are, they are feisty little buggers. They're hot. They're temperamental. They're, virtually unchanged from the war horses that Genghis Khan conquered Eurasia with. They are meant to work, they're wild, and they are really just little forces of nature. So you have to sort of try to get along with them. And sometimes that that works, and sometimes it's kumbaya, and sometimes it's absolutely not. Okay, we had a couple questions. Must you be mounted when you arrive at a station? That's no, right? You can walk into the station. No, you can walk in if you'd like from a mile, a quarter mile, whatever feels right to you. You're more than welcome to walk your horse in. And then we had a question mark. Uh, it says vet station question mark. So kind of explain what the horse stations are. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll show the map here then, too, again. I think we were about done with the pictures. There's a bunch more of just riders riding. Oh, we'll get to that one. So when I showed the uh, pictures earlier, you saw all the horse stations, all the all the waypoints that they have to go to. Explain what happens at those waypoints. Right. So the the overarching sort of mantra of the derby is that riders can get as beat to hell as they'd like, and the horses have to be pristine. So mm. the horses cannot be harmed. The horses cannot be overridden. You have to take perfect care, like a Fabergé egg of these wild horses, which is pretty difficult to manage when you're getting tired and they really want to rock it off all over the step with you. So every time you switch your horse out or get to a new station, they have a veterinarian. It's um, And their veterinary team is comprised of like FEI four-star veterinarians who will check your horse's heart rate. They'll ask you to have him trot a little bit if that's possible. Sometimes they don't cooperate. Um, they'll check him for any saddle sores, anything to, to let them know that the horse might be distressed whatsoever. And if anything is found to be out of place, if a, if a hair is must on his little head, they will give you a vet penalty, which is usually two hours and you have to sit out and that, that goes against your riding time. So, so it's interesting. Um, 
we've had a uh, had another question. What are the numbers on the ponies' butts? It looks like they're, and you can see it on this pony here in this picture. They're tattooed, or it looks like they're branded like our mustangs are, or well, you know, some of our quarter horses and things. So that dude has two marks. The one on the bottom is either a brand or a, a knife scar from the guy who owns him. That's going to be like a local Mongolian herders brand. And then the seven or the one that's on his butt is going to indicate that he's been vetted for the Mongol Derby. So before they check the horses out, they also go over them with the same fine tooth comb to make sure that they're they're fit enough to handle the journey. Um, and that that grease paint marker, like a cow or an endurance horse at an endurance ride, lets them know that that horse has been checked. So will the, so let's say one of the horses gets ridden on day one, right? And of course, these horses then they ride, what was it, 40 kilometers? Yes. They ride 40 kilometers and then you, you get a new horse. Do, are they ever reused at the end of the race or once they ride once they're done? They're done. They just yeah. have to do 40K and then usually um, the herder will, will wait until all of his horses come through and then they'll turn around and go right back home. So they will, you know, get some water, get some rest, enjoy themselves for a little while and then turn around and go home because these horses on average travel between 20 and 30 K a day just to get enough water and food um, in their normal daily lives. So, so, and these are all owned by herders, right? Do, does the Mongol Derby, does the adventurers, do they pay uh, them for the use of the horses and, that, and that's how they help support the locals? Absolutely. Yeah. The Mongol Derby pays the herders for every horse that they lease for the event. And they also pay um, the herders to host stations. So if one of the the Urtus or the the horse stations feeds the, the riders, collects fresh water for yeah. them, they, they pay the locals for all of that support. Like this. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think they mentioned in, and I can't remember this rider's name, but they mentioned that he is definitely eating people out of house and home. The <laughs> He's not eating anybody's winter stores. They'll be compensated for the food and the water and all that good stuff. So it looks to me like he's enjoying a little bit of mutton soup there and maybe some some bread as well. Apparently, it was a big treat uh, because apparently it's mutton, 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 and mutton pretty much every day. Uh, but one of the, one of the places they stayed, they went out and fished, and they came home with some fish. They actually had seafood. I, I have a really funny story that I can tell about okay. my derby experience in which uh, one of my stations also had fresh fish. And I was so excited because everything was mutton, 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 mutton. So I grabbed a piece of fish and I, I shoved the, the entire fish in my mouth. And Setsky, one of the translators, went, it has bones in it. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was on my horse at this point. I was galloping off into the step with like a throat full of fish bones, trying to steer a galloping Mongolian horse and fish the bones out of my throat. <laughs> How did Devin time. die? Oh, it wasn't from being thrown from a horse. It was a fish bone. <laughs> I really had that thought while I was trying to get myself out of this. Yeah, all the crazy things you've done in your life and you die from a fish bone. That would. <laughs> I would hope that everyone who knew me would. No, not to put that on my obituary. Say, oh I no, we would have had fun at your funeral with that one. Let me uh, tell you. <laughs> no, no. So I'm glad that everyone at the fish station like sat down and enjoyed their fish and did not die. Here's a picture of what what an inside of a yurt looks like, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, over his shoulder, the guy in the pink hat, you'll see a shrine or a, a household shrine, and then it looks like there's Eric a Buddha is, there. I think. Yeah, yeah, Eric is sitting next to him and a rider there. <clears throat> and it looks like he can has... i comment on eric we've talked about eric eric always has this look of amazement on his face all the time he lives kind of an amazing life so yeah that's true 
Yeah. And the thing that looks like an arepa on the the um, thing, that's right there. probably a, a, I don't know what the name in Mongolia, but it's made of cheese and it's like a, a cheese film situation. So it's almost like an empanada or something like that. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And this big bowl, is that soup? No, it's milk. Um, it oh, is, is that the mare's milk? No, no, that that's oh, okay. Eric. That would be in a more ceremonial container. That's probably milk tea or sa, which is sort of a thin skim milk hot liquid that they drink um, at every meal. Boy, beautiful bowl though, huh? Yeah, yeah. And the I think if I can see right, there's sort of like a metal container yes, underneath her yes. elbow. That's which probably, does look like a milk container or something. That might be Eric. Which is the fermented mare's milk? Yes. It kind of mm. tastes like Bud Light mixed with yogurt, if you're wondering. <laughs> We've joked about this every year. There's another, that's a great shot right there. Yes. Yes. So you can see all the wind burn on everyone's faces by yeah, day five. It's just, yeah, everyone is just looks like they're wearing some sort of clown beard. It's epic. The kids just always in these pictures look like they're having such a good time. Yeah, I mean, you you have to look at it from their perspective. They're just like, they're out of school. There's all these weird white people there. They don't, you know, they're having a blast. They, you know, they're just hanging out for th- two or three days. It's it's awesome. It's their fair. They, you know. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of like a carnival. Yeah. These are some great shots, actually. Mm-hmm. That's a great shot right there. Yeah. yeah and, and so we're, she's... We're, She's cooling out her horse, but there's not there's uh, not a whole lot of water available on the step. So she's actually using dirt to sort of create a layer between the sun and the horse there. It's a traditional form of Mongolian cooling. Very cool. I love this picture. It's a picture of one of the little kids. <laughs> well, there you go. That was from day five. And there are all the pictures. I'm glad we went through those. Uh, I will try and get... Uh, let's see if I can get the... Um, by the way, it's the equestrianist.com and then just click on Mongol Derby and go to live race tracking and that's where you can follow the dots. Let's see if I can get the map to come up a little quicker this time and see if half the world has stopped going to it. Okay, so here you can see the stations that we were talking about. There are all these marks. And it looks like if we zoom in on the leaders here a little bit. Oh, here, they're coming up now. Okay, so we had we had the two, and that was Patrick and Chris that uh, slept over he, about here last night. Uh, they are they are still in the lead, although it does look like they're going down one of the valleys now. They didn't go over the mountains. The next station they have to get to is over here at seventeen, yeah, and it looks and- like they were going. And the same thing's happening with the trailing group. Yeah, so they may have to, if they're unlucky, they may have to go all the way down to the end of that finger. Let me see if I can bring up the topography without it crashing. Yeah, it takes Uh, more internet. Oh, here we go. If they're unlucky, there might not be a way to get over that ridge before they get down into the lowlands. It does look like they're coming in. It's completely like a horseshoe here. Yeah, that's worst case scenario. They may be able to wiggle over and, and something that we're not seeing. But worst case scenario, they may have made a, a, a choice that cost them the lead. There's no telling. Yeah, because this group, what we they did what we thought they were going to do. By the way, there's a couple trails that seem to have stopped here. I don't know. Howard and Sam, although they may not that have updated either. That could be because either. their yeah. satellite's not pinging. They could all be yeah. together. It's It's difficult to tell. Deidre's right there, and Tiffany's right up there. But we saw them go a completely different direction. I said they're going to come down one of these valleys, and that's what they're doing, it looks yeah. like. Yeah. And the the thrilling part of the dot watching is that you never know who's made the right decision until everything's done and everyone's like asleep for the night, essentially. 
So we'll see if those boys uh, went the right way or not here in a couple hours. <laughs> it says here, update HBA. Uh, you can look up the names for me while I'm doing this. Um, also wrote out with SED and TDO, not with the earlier group of riders. So apparently some of them did ride out a little later is what they're saying. That's so that's Howard, Tyler. Yeah. Howard with a B and 1400 syllables on that last name. That yeah. we're not going to try. Yeah. And Sam, Edney, and uh, Tyler Donaldson. Uh, so they all rode out a little bit later for some reason. They slept okay. in. Okay. Yeah. That's, so that's what about food? We've talked about this in years past. We haven't brought it up because we haven't heard any stories of massive problems. But every year, it's uh, every year there's a problem with stomach problems. Yeah, it's it's a combination of um, it's a great combination of of any time that you do endurance, it messes with your gut and it messes with your metabolism. Um, you don't know anything also, about this. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely don't know anything <laughs> about that. But also, you have a bunch of people who are switching to an unpasteurized dairy diet, as well as uh, mutton and water that is it's boiled and everything in the um, the gears or whatever or in the stations, but maybe you take water from a different source. So it's, it's all sorts of situations that can go wrong. Um, and yeah, every year it, I, I tell riders like just plan to have diarrhea, just, just bring everything you need to have it. And then if you don't, you'll be pleasantly surprised. And of course there's port porta potties all along the way. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I don't think I saw, <laughs> I don't think I saw a single toilet any year that I've done the derby. It's all slit trenches in the ground. So why aren't there rolls of toilet paper hanging off their saddles? I don't know. <laughs> it would be smart. <laughs> it's one of those things that like everyone really politely doesn't mention after they do the derby. Like when you're when you come home, your friends don't want to hear about how no. like heinously you had to go to the bathroom. They just want to hear the the fun stuff, you know. <laughs> So I have, if anybody has any questions for Devin or about the Derby at all, just post them, write them below, and we'll see them. I do have somebody that asked, uh, what is the most surprising thing you learned from your first d Derby? Hmm. You know, I could get really like introspective about what my Derby taught me um, and go sort of like down a road of self-discovery. But it also taught me a lot about, skipping all over that stuff, um, it taught me a lot about just different cultures and different horsemanship skills and, and sort of like the fact that even though I don't speak Mongolian, I can connect with a culture on a really intimate level just through the horse, you know, and just having this amazing connection with these people who I don't know their names. I don't speak their language. I don't know anything about them, but we both love this particular horse that we both are standing next to. That's a, that's really powerful. How and do you communicate with them? What do you mean? With the locals. It's the same way you English. do a horse. <laughs> I mean, it's they don't same. speak English. So you end up at their, you end up camping or staying with a family in the Gur. Uh, how do you communicate? So some people bring like little notes that say like, hi, my name is Devin. I'm taking part of a horse race. Could I sleep here tonight? Which is awesome. That's a great icebreaker. Uh, and just for the most part, you have to pantomime and sort of get along with it. Um, and just communicate without language which is something that you can do you can get along you can definitely make it happen it just takes a little effort on both sides and it, honestly you find you really don't need language 
So we talked about cowboy camping, and you did a lot of that, actually. Cowboy camping when usually have a sleeping bag. These guys don't even have that. But you're sleeping on the ground, no tent, no cover, or anything like that. Um, and no protection from the elements or the animals. Did you see any animals when you were over there? Oh, yeah. I saw wolves and marmots, lots of marmots, um, all sorts of animals, you know, and the ones that they keep and domesticate. Camels, yaks, goats, sheep. Were the wolves a problem? Did they travel in packs? Um, I only saw one when I was doing that northern route up near Russia. Uh, that one, they told us to to really think critically about sleeping out by yourself because we were in wolf territory. I don't think that these guys in central Mongolia will have to worry about wolves. Mm. So you did, actually, you uh, did a a backpacking trip with horses uh, on the Colorado trail, which is 500 miles across the peaks of the 14,000 peaks of Colorado. Um, and you did some Colorado. cowboy camping there, I think, right? Yes. And there definitely are wolves in Colorado. Just and bear and everything else. <laughs> yeah. That was a fun trip. I enjoyed following you on that trip. Yeah, it was a, a trip of a lifetime. We recently had the chance to go back and sort of like walk around one of our campsites. And it was just a really emotional experience, a spiritual experience. Yeah, because that's one of the very few long distance trails, hiking trails, quote unquote, in the United States, that and the Pacific Crest Trail that you can take horses on. Yeah. Uh, yep. yeah. It's, so and it's good. only 30 days. So if you're thinking of a holiday, I, I definitely recommend it. There you go. <laughs> go with friends, though. It keeps the bears away. Um, so anything else you want to talk about with this year's crowd? Do you, uh, any more people you want to comment on or? Um, maybe Brandy Dobbin. Um, if you wanted to pull up her profile really quickly, okay. she yep. is, uh, kind of a walking medical miracle. She broke a few ribs on day one. I want to say maybe even two. Uh, and it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know if the medics have sort of like gently encouraged her to stop riding, but she has not. And she is currently at horse station 13. So she's trucking she along. Yeah. She's um, still at 13. It looks like. Yeah. And they've basic and you know, they, they just keep updating her and she looks pretty steady in the saddle, but they definitely have diagnosed her with broken ribs and she's still out there fighting. So definitely my hat is off. to. Oh, she's to an inventor. She's tough. Yeah. <laughs> she's had broken ribs before. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How many of these riders are endurance riders and how many are other in the other category? A of these people have never done endurance before, which I think is just awesome. <laughs> I think this is incredible that so many people have just been like, oh, we don't need endurance experience. We can figure it out on the way. Um, but all of these people are very fit and all of them are obviously very competent riders. So yeah, it, it's yeah. kind of like the equivalent of me jumping into Rolex and being like, I don't need to know how to jump a horse. Are you kidding me? I'll figure it out. Like. <laughs> okay, this answered your question. Riding hours today are 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., and they extended that by an hour. So you're right. They must have been quitting at 6. And I see why. If it gets to be after dark and you got to go find them and there's a problem, it's, it's just more difficult on the quote-unquote crew, the chase team, too. You're right. But that's the right move, to, to extend the riding hours and give everybody a chance to ride and and finish on under their own power. Because that's that's, you know, everybody says, I just want to finish. I just want to finish. Nobody wants to be carried forward in the the wagon, you know, and saying you're not going fast enough. Giving them more time will definitely increase the number of finishers. So that's really awesome to see. So these people that are straggling way back here, a lot of them will be carried forward, right? They'll have to move them forward. Yeah, 
a, a fair number of them will be, uh, and I know they'll fight hard not to be, but um, at some point, they're, the logistics are just, they're too strung out. They do have medical teams that sort of hover around each rider, uh, but they can't, you know, they can't be six hours from the nearest rider in case something goes really, really wrong, really fast. You know, these are wild horses. There have been some catastrophic injuries. There have been some emergency situations out there. So they need to keep the riders kind of bundled together so that they can reach them in the event of something awful happening. Well, this has been fun as always, Devin. When, how many more days do you think till we see a, a, somebody cross the finish line they have all of those to go yet and that's all mountainous that's going to be tougher riding i'm going to put my money on end of day eight we'll have somebody across the line so that would be our friday saturday east and east time so probably i would think friday night into saturday yeah something like that well we have one more question for you and then we'll have to wrap it up here um what's next for devin oh boy um, so I am eight weeks post-op on a knee surgery. So of course I have a hiking trip. Yeah, if to she Peru. showed you her leg, it would be all mechanical. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. She's got this huge brace on. Uh, I have, um, I, I'm eight weeks out. And so of course I have a 50 or sorry, an 80 kilometer hike in Peru scheduled for October. And then my, my 2023 is completely booked already with adventures and, and various things that I'd like to do. So does your husband worry about you at all or is he just numb now? I think he's numb. I think he's been <laughs> I think he's been numb since 2013 when I first yes, went over yeah. for the derby that that first time of like lurching anxiety and I I think my mom too has just sort of like learned to live with it. That, that's horrible, but yeah, they they've sort of learned to live with it. <laughs> now, of course, the adventurous or uh, the equestrianists now are doing some other rides now and they have the one in Patagonia. Um, and now I'm not going to make you say anything. Okay. But it's not a secret. It's on their website that they're announcing very shortly. And it's going to be right when they get back, they're going to come on our show and announce very shortly. They're going to be announcing some new rides. And I can say, because it's on the website, it's not a secret that one of those rides is going to be in North America. I have no comment. No, but that's not a secret. It's on, it's on their website. So we're allowed to announce that. I asked. We're allowed to announce that there's going to be a ride in North America. Details have not been forthcoming yet. Um, but that probably means the United States. I, I would think that that's what they would do. Um, they know they have a lot of riders from here. It would get a lot of press. They would have a thousand people sign up. So they're, they're not dumb. They know that's what. But one of the things they try and do is support local native populations. And my guess is, you don't say anything, this is my guess, I don't know either, Uh, but my guess is, pretty educated guess, by the way, my guess is that they're going to try and do it on native land somewhere here in the United States. And that would probably be the Midwest, the West, somewhere out there. But uh, that's my guess. No comment. Yeah, I know. But uh, I'm just guessing. I'm just, Eric, I'm just guessing. So... (laughs) I don't know anything. I actually don't know anything more than that. So that is a guess. Yeah, but I do well. know that the United States is on the list. Now, whether that's next year or five years from now, it takes a while to plan these things. But they had other places on the list, too. You know, they had other uh, other continents on the list as well. So it's not just the United States. It's other places that are going to be expanding, too, as well. So they must be pretty thrilled with how everything's happening and how it's all working. Yeah, I think it's just there's a huge want for for adventures like this really tough, gritty, 
pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, prove your worth situations. Like I feel like there's a, my dog is here. Uh, I feel like there's a huge market for that. And a lot of people who are looking for that sort of thing. So if the adventurists are able to organize, you know, I'm, I'm always a huge fan of their work and I'll be there. So, well, and you know, I mean, this country has so much cool terrain to do a race like this. I mean, and tough terrain, not easy either, you know? So we just have the coolest places to do that. Uh, I watch a, a girl by the name of Eva Zubek. She does a YouTube channel. She's from Poland, and she's traveled to 100 countries now and on her YouTube channel. And now she's in a Land Rover or whatever, uh, traveling the United States for the first time. And her comment at the end of the last video was, this is probably the prettiest country she's ever seen. Because she's up in Wyoming and Montana and all those places now, and she's heading to Alaska. But uh, uh, if you want to look her up, it's Eva Zubek. She's fascinating to watch. I mean, she just uh, uh, she's been everywhere, all over the world, um, and uh, she makes you look stagnant, actually. Wow, I'll have to, I'll have to look her up. <laughs> she actually rode in Mongolia. She did go to Mongolia. One of the videos is uh, uh, a couple of videos of riding horses in Mongolia. That's one of the things she did. But uh, so we do have a cool country, and I'm excited to see where that race will be. And maybe I'll finally get to go to one. Yeah, that would be amazing. I told Eric, I'm going to come help with the crew. I'm just going to, but I'm going to do it in the place where we eat normal food. That's what I'm <laughs> I said, I'm waiting till you come to the United States, and then I'll go. Well, that's it for tonight. Thank you so much. We're going to probably do this again. So we'll we'll announce. Keep uh, keep an eye out. There's a uh, whole other derby next month, so why yes, not? we have to do it again. I think. Um, and you know, somebody just po- uh, posted ultimate ultimate HRN listener meetup. Yeah, that'd be fun. We can have a meetup there. To- you guys could just bring like a bunch of lawn chairs and like hop from station to station, and it would be an incredible, incredible vacation. <laughs> we'll have flags and banners. <laughs> oh, the horses will love that. Yeah, the Mustang. Probably the Mustangs they're riding will love that. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. If you missed any part of tonight's show, please just go to Stable Scoop, the podcast feed. We will have it there. Go back and watch the video all over again. It's on 10 of our pages. Uh, The the one you can always remember, it's always on Horse Radio Network's Facebook page, so you can find it there. Where can they find you if they want to follow you along? Yeah, the best place is on Facebook. Uh, My handle is Texan Temujin um, or just Devin Horn with an A. Devin Horn with an A. All right. Thanks, Devin. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye.